Hi, welcome to Annie's Pink Chair, where we bring real, raw, relevant issues with wit and wisdom from a woman's perspective. I am so happy and excited and just, man, you guys don't understand. This is one of my personal friends. I've known her for about a decade. And we met at a Joyce Meyer conference, which we love Joyce Meyer. That's our mama bear. Her name's Lisa Michelle. And you guys have to hear this story. Like her and I have so much in common, it's not funny. And I like to just give a description about what this beautiful woman of God has been through in her life. She has been exploited as a little girl. And that led her down this path of rock stars, rehab, and then her final redemption in Christ. And so today I want to welcome Lisa Michelle. Lisa, woohoo! I'm so I'm so happy that you're here today and uh, coming on the pink chair because listen, girl, like we could get on the phone and just start talking, like I said earlier, and just not stop. Like hours will go by. And I just love you and I love your heart and you're so beautiful. And plus you're my pink sister. You got pink in your hair. So you match me and I match you. So we have something in common when it comes to hair color, right? But beyond that, just, you know, hearing the way God has worked in your life and the miracles he's done has been just absolutely incredible and amazing. And I just want to introduce everyone to you today and what you do. And just can you share a little bit of your story of how you got to that Joyce Meyer conference? What happened? (laughs) Yeah, that was a long journey. Uh, So for me, I grew up in a broken home in San Francisco, just outside of San Francisco, California. My dad was a part of the Hells Angels. He was a bartender, had his own bar. He was an extremely abusive man, not only to myself, but to my family. And I grew up under his sexual abuse for 14 years. And I can say that now like wholeheartedly without toxic shame being attached to it, which is amazing because that used to scare me to be able to say that out loud. Uh, But I grew up in this crazy atmosphere full of domestic violence and being under my dad's influence sexually like that left me vulnerable to a man who lived across the street from us. Right. This man was a businessman. He ran our local funeral home. Oh, and, uh-huh. creepy. You got to be it, kidding me right now. It is probably one of the most horrifying, creepiest stories oh. and that I've actually never really dude, told. W- dude, was he an embalmer? He was. Mm. Mm. I, I, Annie, this is like Halloween right now. Like, what's going on? Like, seriously. Don't bring out of me what I've never told before on some of that. But honestly, it's lit- he lived in an apartment oh. on top of that funeral home. Oh, man. And he was married. And he lived a quiet life, according to the community, as this businessman. But to me, he was a pedophile. So my mom at the time was trying to escape my dad's abuse. And this man, a grandfather figure, said, hey, I'll take your daughter in for the weekend. And he would take me in. And unfortunately, he would drug me every single time. So I had no short-term memory of what was happening to me. Wait a second. Your mom left you with this man? 
she trusted him. She it, thought he was a good man. And only until recently did we find out because we found pictures of me and him in LA and other places. We didn't even know he took me places on the weekends and I was gone. It wasn't even at the funeral home. And we found out that too. And that's been hard on all of us because there's wow. so many things. Our whole entire family was groomed, wow. you know, and we were tricked as well. So that left me because I had no short-term memory of what was happening to me in that funeral home, but I started to act out. I started How old to get were you? About. I was seven and eight, nine okay. years old. I started to um, drink and do drugs at a very early age, started hanging out on the streets of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. uh, we would take Bart out there, me and a couple misfit kids. We'd hang out in this alleyway. There was a back door to a strip club and a back door to a heavy metal club. We literally just sat against the brick wall drinking Thunderbird and just, you know, being all blitzed out of our minds. And one day this guy comes out of the heavy metal club and he says, hey, do you girls want a fake ID and you want to come join us? So we were all excited. We we're like, yeah, right. I'm going to go hang out with older men. And <laughs> sure enough, we did. We went in there and I found a boyfriend real quick. He was the lead singer of a band what and band? started beating him. Um, it was called Mickey Shields. Okay. They were a popular band back there. And, and it was in uh, 84, 85. And you're an 80s time, girl, 80s girl. I know for sure. Me too. <laughs> I'm going to tell a story. I haven't told this one publicly. It's hilarious. Um, I was backstage for my boyfriend's band that was playing and opening up for another band. And I was in the bathroom. My boyfriend's band goes on the stage. I come out of the bathroom and there's these two guys that are just drop dead gorgeous. And I mean, my mouth hangs open. I'm like, oh, who are these guys? And apparently they both felt the same way. And it was Brett Michaels and Bobby Doll. <laughs> I was just like, wow. Hell so I ended up running off with Poison, hanging out with them for a year on the road. And then a year later, I met the drummer of Kicks, K-I-X, mm -hmm. and ran off with him for about four and a half years. So living this heavy metal, uh, crazy lifestyle on the road with Guns N' Roses. Girl, you have to come to a Monsters uh, of Rock Tesla, cruise. Aerosmith, yeah. You, you have to come when we have a festival with Striper playing with all the other bands. You have to come next time. You, yeah, you, you that do. would be fun. I, I don't know if it would be triggering for you, though, but, you know, you could do it. You could do it sober, right? I've like, been on the road. I mean, as an adult woman, from everything that I went through in my 20s, I've actually gone backstage to the to see the all these guys. I'm still friends with them. So, yeah, no, I love those guys. <laughs> wow, wow. Yeah, I do. You were, so, you were sharing a story earlier about... You, you saw Striper open up or play with someone or play in the same concert with... Gosh, I want to say it was a Troubadour, but I don't think that was it. No, it no, they, they played with the Troubadour before. They have, I think. Yeah, pretty so sure. The, the lead Poison was the lead band and Striper, or maybe it was Striper that was the lead band, but I just remember here I am growing up with no knowledge of who God was in my life. And living this heavy metal lifestyle, being addicted to drugs and alcohol, running from my past, disassociating from all of my sexual abuse and exploitation, just acting like it never happened to me. And I just remember these guys coming out that looked just like all the guys I was hanging out with, all these rocker dudes. But these guys were different. <laughs> I 
I was like, what is so different about them? And then here they are throwing Bibles out. And I just remember thinking, this is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. But to this day, like, I just remembered that a few days ago, thinking how radical they were back then. Oh, I mean, yeah. Who did that? Like, that's amazing. These guys are amazing. I would love to see them again someday. They now. still throw Bibles out. So they still throw Bibles out. They they play in San Antonio sometimes. They play in Dallas and Houston, too. So yeah. we'll let you know when they play. Obviously, my husband has to get better first. But, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Okay, so what happened after that? Because you were touring you went with Poison at first, and then you you went with Kicks, and then you just were everywhere, just hanging out, being a rock star. I mean, would you consider yourself a groupie or just some chick that loved rock bands? Because both of them are absolutely true in a way, right? Right. Yeah. In the beginning, for sure, I was a groupie. But after being with Jimmy for so long and living with him in Maryland for almost four and a half years, um, but what happened was they got addicted to Coke. And I was a heavy drinker, addicted. And even the band themselves said, you need to get in a rehab. He said, you need to get help because I almost a couple times OD'd. And so um, I was pretty miserable and I knew I needed to get help. So I moved back to California. I moved back in with my mom and I told her I'm an addict. I need help. I need to get into rehab. So she actually went with me to my first AA meeting. And she was right there as a support system for me, which was amazing. This was the beginning of my journey of healing to where I am today. Wow. But what happened was, unfortunately, my healing and my sobriety was very short-lived. I ended up becoming a makeup artist. And my first day of working as a makeup artist in San Francisco, I was invited into the underground club scene, the raves um, in San Francisco. And that night... I was ushered into the VIP room where the owner of this club and all the fancy restaurants in San Francisco put a bottle of Dom Perignon in front of me. I'd never seen it, didn't know what it was. And that from that night on, I even went harder into my addictions. Wow. And I started hanging out with these celebrities and just really, really not living a good life in that. And so, um, I got pretty burnt out after eight years of living back in my addictions and I became an esthetician and I was working in the salon one day and I'm doing facials. I come out of my room. My sister actually did nails and was working on a male client of hers. Uh -huh. I'm walking by and he reaches out and he grabs me and he says, Hey Lisa, I'd like to invite you to church this Sunday. And I said, me church. Why would you invite a girl like me to church? Girls like me don't go to church. <laughs> and he looked at me and he goes, you know what? You're right. You're probably going to catch on fire when you walk through those doors this Sunday, Lisa. And you're probably one of the biggest sinners I've ever met in my entire life. But I know exactly why you're going to church this Sunday. And I looked at him intrigued at this point. And I said, okay, why am I going to church this Sunday? And he goes, because there's really hot guys there. And I went, what time? I will be there. <laughs> Spend it on the club because you're sober. <laughs> I showed up to church that Sunday for all the wrong reasons. And my sister actually went with me because she was excited too to meet all the hot guys. Girl, listen, I, I, I admit it. Okay, when I first, I was single when I first went back to church and I was dressing like I'm ready what? to date. Let's go. Okay. Jeans painted on, t-shirts painted on, cleavage, whatever. Yeah, dude. I was dressing like a rocker chick, basically. I, I was. Right. You know, so I, I get it. 
Well, I remember the first time uh, that I knew that I was dressed inappropriately because I was actually dating one of those guys. Because let me tell you, I dated quite a few of them. And he took his jacket off on Sunday morning service and actually laid it across my lap. And I, I didn't know why he was doing that. And I looked down. He said, you need to cover up a little bit more. I literally had a mini skirt on. I mean, I did not know how to value my body or I, all I knew is that my sexuality was all I had ever since I was a little girl. Right. And I was going to use it to my best ability that I could. I mean, in Christ. And and so I want to just, uh, you know, talk about that for a minute or two, the sexuality piece with church and the moral compass that we're all supposed to follow. Right. Right. A lot of people that have never been in the sex industry, and I would say that they've never been fully sexually abused, like to the extent of like you or Joyce Meyer, some where, where it's just was happening to understand the promiscuity and the, the normalization of sexuality, which you don't know that it's bad what you're doing, but yet instinctively you do. But it's normal. Does that make right. sense? So yeah. wh- how did you, when you, when you walked in there with your mini skirt, you were like, I just want to look good. Like, Hey, I'm Lisa. I've arrived. Is that what your attitude was or, or what was it? Yeah, it was. And the really cool thing is, is that, you know, I could see some women looking at me and not approving of the way I looked, but then there were other women that were very loving and caring towards me and took me in and they were role models to me and they didn't dress the same way. And you think as a woman, we don't notice that. We don't notice that, Hey, they're not showing their cleavage and they're not doing this. So you start to want to emulate those women in the church that aren't dressing the exact same way. You start to notice that, Hey, I'm not kind of fitting in with this group, but you know, that was kind of my, my whole, thing with God was I was trying to fit in this box too. I felt like I had to dress a certain right. way, but I didn't. I wanted to. I got to a point where I wanted to dress modestly and not expose myself. You know what? And I, that's something that is so important to share because I remember when I first started going back to church, I had a boyfriend that told me I needed to tone down my makeup and the, clo- the colors of my clothing and the way I'm, I'm not kidding you. And I believed him. I was like, yeah, let me tone myself down. But I was so unhappy, Lisa. I was so, and I'm not talking about the sexuality part, but just the, my, the way that I'm so colorful now and all that, this is who I like to be, who I feel comfortable in that place. And when God tells me to change it, I will. But for now, I love colors. And so I feel like back then that was the enemy trying to kind of like shut me down and trying to make my new Christian experience, not be fun. Not that it's That's fun, but when you're a baby Christian, when you first believe in Christ, a lot of people that are listening right now, you might not understand this or that are watching. What does she mean by that? Well, what I mean is when you first, finally, you, you're awoke, like you awake and realize there's another world there and it's a kingdom that we cannot see, but we can sense it, feel it. And we can see it with our spiritual eyes and hear it with our spiritual ears. But some people can't, but when you're awakened to that and you realize that you live eternally, that, that, that Jesus is the son of God. And you're like, you've forgiven for everything you've ever done bad. And the choices that you make in the past and the present and the future are going to be forgiven that are bad, right. That aren't necessarily in his will for you. Uh, it's, it's like, you feel this euphoria and this 
freedom. And I, I, you know what? I like to describe it as it's better than any cocaine high or pills or anything I've ever taken in my life or better than any <laughs> orgasm I've ever had. Like I, I, I'm being honest, right? So anyway, right, right. I want you to, you know what? I'm talking too much. So let me let you finish because let's get to that place. You know, you said you went to rehab and you went to church and now what happens next? Yeah. Well, I love what you just said too, because <clears throat> when, well, I'll, I'll go back to that. So I'm going to church and the preacher just says, you know, if you want to give your life to the Lord today and you feel like that's you, I just want you to stand. And I just remember popping out of my chair. The whole church knew that I gave my life to the Lord because I literally was like waving and going, that's me. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. And everybody in the church already knew that, but I didn't. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm all in. Then I got baptized and it's pretty amazing because coming from my family background, my entire family ended up coming to the Lord through that one act of me being obedient and completely doing a 180. My mom was wow. the very first one in her family to give her life to the Lord. And then it got me and then it just went on and on. So today, even my father had accepted the Lord into his life. That's so and good. Unbelievable. Yeah. The and I know, with and I just want to give you condolences. I know your dad recently passed away, but you had gone through some major milestones with him as he was getting sicker. And you were, I, I remember talking to you about it and that God was doing something in his life. And I'm so happy that you're going to see him again, Lisa. You're going to see him. I don't, I don't know how people get away, like go through the passing of a loved one. Like this, this is my first really big, big loss. And yeah. it's so hard yeah. to say goodbye to the ones yes. that we love. But yes. if you, do, if they don't know Jesus, oh my goodness, I'm just so thankful. I have that hope and that I will be able to see him someday again. It's and amazing. you, and you forgave him. I did forgive him. A lot yeah. of people that have been abused. That's the hardest piece, forgiving right. them and themselves. So Lisa, let's get to the really juicy part of your story and what happened next, because you're doing an incredible work right now. Yeah, well, I ended up meeting my husband at that church and we got married very quickly, moved to Arizona. I started teaching children and Bible study fellowship and thought that was my calling. And I was just ready to just stay ended up having black mold in our home. And I became gravely ill. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I actually got to the point where I was allergic to every single food that was out there. I had to have an IV and me for food and for nutrition. Um, it was really bad. I really thought this was it for me. And it was a long, long, hard road to recovery. Still to this day, I have things that are still here because of that. But I remember laying in my bed one day and I just cried out to God. And I just said, what do you want from me, God? I don't know. What is it? I had to quit my teaching position at BSF and I was laying there for months and the doctor actually had to come to our home to take care of me. I couldn't even get out of the house. I had to hire a nanny cause we could afford it back then and to take care of my little and that is all I ever wanted in 
life was to become a mom and to have, you know, just be a mom and be a good mom to my kids. And so it broke my heart to do that. But I cried out to God and I just said, God, what is it? I'll do anything. And to make a long story short, he asked me to pick up my mat and to stop feeling sorry for myself. Mm. And he asked me to walk and follow him. Well, that day I literally got, I had a cane in order to walk and I got my cane and I walked right out my door because God showed me there was a conference that was live that was happening at our church. And it was truly amazing because there was somebody there that was sharing when I walked into the church about how they went into the strip clubs and they went back and and ministered to the girls there. And I thought, this is great, Lord. This is beautiful. I'm crying. I'm touched. But I'm like, what does this have to do with me? You know, like I thought this was not relevant. Right. Anyway. It is, though. <laughs> yeah. And so it turns out that there was a group of girls in Phoenix that went to the strip clubs and once a month. And God showed me in a very amazing way that I was supposed to be sitting in their empty seat on Sunday and to go into those strip clubs with them. I remember wrestling with him, telling him, God, I promise I made a vow. I will never walk back into nightclubs, be around alcohol, be around those kind of men. I mean, I made a vow to myself that when I became a Christian, that that's it. Right. I won't back. And even though I hadn't lived in the strip clubs per se, it was everything that I had lived around. So for me to go back there was a big deal. And I went back. I went that night out of obedience and just thought, okay, I'll just, you know, make a truce with God. I'll go and I'll show up and we'll be all done. <laughs> well, here I am 13 years later. <laughs> so now God has uh, led me eight years ago to start a ministry here in San Antonio called No Strings Attached. And that's where it's and right, right next to you right now. No Strings Attached. Yes. And we go into the strip clubs, into our illicit massage businesses, which I think, uh, you know, they're just modern day brothels, right. massage parlors. Foot, foot parlors, uh, yes. Yeah. And we have over 150 of them right here in San Antonio and over 1,200 of them in Texas. Wow. Alone. Wow. Yeah. We're working on trying to change legislation for that. So it's harder for them to run their businesses here. Uh, and I obviously, you guys, you know, it's it's legal there, right? It's legal outside of Clark County, yes, in Nevada, okay. but not yeah. in the Las Vegas area at all, no. Okay. And so we go in and we bring a handmade gift to each woman that works there, and we just build community, relationship, and it's amazing to just see the God moments that happen in the dressing rooms and just build a new community with women. Most of the women that we meet that work inside of the strip clubs, they grew up in the church. Right. And in our local churches right around us too. They all have stories. I've met pastors, kids. I've met, you, you wouldn't believe, I mean, you know, every walk of life is inside of these commercial you know, sex industries. I want to just say this, that this is exactly the way Jesus would be walking on the earth today. Yeah. I mean, he met people right where they were. He never decided like, oh, I'm going to wait to talk to that person when they're ready. And when, they're, I mean, when they're cleaned up, then I'll speak with them. He was just, he'd go right in the middle of the mess and say, hey, I'm Jesus and you're forgiven. I mean, it was beautiful. And so I, I really 
love what you just shared about going into these places. And yeah, I've seen those brothels in San Antonio. They're nothing nice, girl. I've seen them from the freeways and how crazy they look. Some of them are incognito. Some of them have like a, 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 a open sign with red letters on them and a, some random house with bricks. It's like, what is that? It's a brothel. But I wanted you to share, Lisa, what is, if someone wants to get a hold of you and you also have a business with, with cosmetics, right? What, right would, yeah. what would that handle be and where can they find you on social media? It's at Healing the Exploited. I'm on Instagram and Facebook for that and under Lisa Michelle as well. And yeah, we have we have a freedom box and our proceeds go to our ministry, to your ministry, yes, to yes. others that we partner with. We love to be able to collaborate with other women that are out there doing amazing work too. So um, all of our proceeds come from that, but I just, I'm going to show you my little earrings. I love those, you know, and and she has jewelry too, everyone and and makeup and just these beautiful love boxes. And I just want to thank you, Lisa, because Lisa, you guys, Lisa has donated to us. And I was shocked every time she's done it. She's done it several times. I can't even count how many times you've donated. And I'm just like, this woman is going out there risking her life and People are donating to her and she's giving to other safe houses and other ministries to help them. You have such a beautiful heart, Lisa. I'm just honored to know you. And I just am so thankful with what God's doing. If you could say one last thing to anyone out there that needs to hear, you know, about the love that you encountered with God and just share right now, if you can. Sure. Yeah, well, I just, I, you just reminded me of that day I gave my life to the Lord and just how empty, how lonely, how used I felt. You know, I felt so used up physically in my body at 28 years old. I was like, you know, done at 28 years old, just washed up and just felt like just crap, you know, and that I was useless. And what, what was I ever going to do with my life with all the abuse and all the horrible things that I did to my own body. And so I'm just so thankful that I surrendered my heart and my life to Jesus. And I have to tell you that there is no drug, no drink, and no man out there that could ever give you the kind of high or the kind of yes. love that Jesus gives to you. Yes. And that I'm on I'm more on fire today. My evangelism and what I do than I ever was. And so the love of God just increases in your heart. So yes. I just want to say that if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, that this is the time right now Come on. to just surrender it all and give it over to him. It doesn't matter how dirty you think you are, how much you've done. My dad was a hell's angel and he, he did horrible things to many people. I could tell you stories for days. And he, that's one of the things he kept telling me is Lisa, I've done too much. I've done really bad things. There's no way God would accept me into his kingdom. But he did. He did. He did. He did it for him. And yes. if he did it for me, he's going to do it for you too. Yes. Thank you, Lisa, so much. We love you. And again, everyone, if you want to get a hold of Lisa, go to No Strings Attached and. And Healing the Exploited. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on today, Lisa. And we'll be in touch. And I cannot wait to see you thank again. You. And hopefully, you'll be in the studio this next time, okay? 
Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. And you guys, this is exactly what happened with Lisa with no strings attached and what she's doing. She has a double portion. She has no more shame and she's doing the work of God. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you.